Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Welcome to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, and we're streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember, folks, you can keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You'll find us at Radio Islam USA. And if you are new to the program, take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You'll find us wherever you get yours at. We're on SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn. Basically, wherever you get yours at, you'll find us at Radio Islam USA. That is at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, it is good to be. It's good to be back. Um, hope that everyone had a uh, an uneventful uh, holiday. Uh, those who are gathering, uh, who are traveling for uh, the Thanksgiving holiday, hope that it was good for you. Um, I don't have any leftovers. Uh, I guess I shouldn't at this point. I guess these should all be gone. Uh, but anyway, there is a lot. Uh, there's there's a lot going on. So today we want to talk about a couple of things. Uh, first, we want to we want to talk about a historic first. Uh, we know that the Laquan McDonald uh, that murder trial, the trial of former police officer uh, uh, Jason Van Dyke, that got a lot of national attention, um, and folks showed up every day. They were in the um, uh, you know they showed up in the courtroom, uh, packed courtroom. Folks were outside. And, and and rightly so, uh, this was a case where the uh, this was a case where the dash cam, right? This 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 footage that was suppressed, it was held back. That this really made all the difference in the world, uh, and it led to the uh, conviction of Jason Van Dyke. You know, now what we're looking at today is that we've got a first in Chicago because of that trial, because of that dash cam. Uh, video which contradicted uh, Van Dyke's own reports and his testimony. We now have a first. We have three officers, uh, two former officers and one current officers, who um, who are facing basically a criminal code of silence uh, charges that stem from this from this shooting, uh, from the death of Laquan McDonald. So we've got former Detective David March, ex-officer uh, Joseph Walsh, and Officer Thomas Gaffney. Uh, who are being charged, and they're looking at some really, um, they're looking at some 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 interesting things, uh, and that is these reports. And one of them, and I've, I've got to go to this. One of them states, and I think this is from from Walsh, um, but it, it basically, as they give their take on what happened, um, he says that McDonald charged at his vehicle and stabbed the windshield so that was an assault so that's what he wrote up right doesn't make much sense uh you can't assault a vehicle uh that's property damage um and still but this is this is the other other part of this um he's trying to say that uh, i think it was walsh uh or is it march one of these fellas so it's walsh Gaffney, so it's either Gaffney or Walsh, but one of the two were partnered up with Van Dyke that day. And the, in their defense, they're saying that this is their second time uh, partnering with him. And so why would they have a reason to to try to cover for him or, or lie or anything like that? 
And what I'm saying is, if you've spent any time with your eyes open, <laughs> paying any kind of attention to the way our, our our police departments function, it's not about you knowing a person individually. Uh, that's the whole point of this this idea of a brick wall, the the blue wall. Uh, the blue wall, it, it's about maintaining the uh, integrity. It's about it's about rallying around or protecting whoever is wearing that uniform. So it doesn't matter if they know him. But I want to bring up uh, a, a few things. I'm hopeful to see, first of all, I'm hopeful to see that these uh, folks will be held accountable for what most of us know, especially in Chicago, most of us know that this is a routine, a routine practice, and it does not negate, uh, does not take away the fact that they are they are good officers individually, but how they operate within that system, eh, see that's that's a different conversation. That's something that, that's a completely different conversation, a different reality. Um, we know that this type of thing happens all the time, and the only reason that this came out the way it did. The only reason that uh, Van Dyke was 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 uh, was found guilty was because of that dash cam footage, and because that footage refuted, I mean, without a doubt, everything that he had written, and that these other three individuals had also written to try to uh, justify him pulling up in within. Less than I think it was less than ten seconds, um, pumping sixteen uh, rounds into this young man. It was that dash cam footage. But other than that, this is not something that we would we would even be having a conversation about. The reports would have been filed, and he would have been exonerated, and he would be still on the street right now. Simple as that, right? But I want to look at I want to look at a couple of things. First off. There is a uh, a propaganda machine that is operating around law enforcement. And once again, this has nothing to do with not appreciating appreciating first responders, right? Has nothing to do with that, right? We appreciate, we need our fire uh, our firefighters, we need our paramedics, we need our police officers. We need all those people that show up when everybody else is running away. We need these people. That said, there is there seems to be a special um, there a special effort, a special energy that's given to painting our police officers as um, as as infallible. Right. That's the first thing. They're, they're infallible. They're invested with great authority and great power, uh, but they're never they are rarely held uh, to the same standards that your your regular citizens are that that the rest of us are now how how amazing would it be to see and because this video doesn't exist uh, cuz I've looked for it uh and if it if it does please share it with me but I have yet to see a police officer restraining another officer from from doing some some bogus some terrible uh unconstitutional, you know, violating somebody's civil liberties uh, type of stuff. I've never seen that instance. I've never seen 
an individual, a good individual officer, rise up in the face of something that we all know is wrong, right? But we just we have to look at these things on YouTube. We have to look at these things circulating on social media, and we see other officers standing by while while one or maybe two or whatever. But we 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 see them cosign with their silence, right? We see this all the time. But how powerful would it be if we were to see a police officer, right, that's sworn to serve and protect, actually do that when the aggressor, when the person who's actually in the wrong happens to be wearing a badge? That, that would be something. That would actually instill faith in the police. It, it would instill faith in them because the truth is there are communities that distrust, that have a distrust for the police. And it's because they don't see that type of uh, a commitment. They don't see anybody who's really willing to stand up for, for justice or, or stand up for, stand up against the wrong when that wrong happens to be riding in a car with them. And the simple fact is, is that most police officers... They know who the bad ones are. They know exactly who the who the ones are who who do things uh, like like pick people up and, uh, you know, that are harassing people that are uh, whether it be verbally assaulting or physically assaulting people. Uh, They know the ones who are profiling folks. They know the ones who are inflicting violence on people. And getting away with it because the person that they're doing it to happens to have a police record. But anybody who has spent any time in the city, any time who living in any of these areas that are uh, that are hyper policed, you know, you know this as, as a fact. Getting a police record, being picked up, being pulled over by the police, and and being charged uh, and winding up with a record. It's not a it's not a hard thing to happen. It's pretty pretty doggone easy. So there's a trial. Uh this trial began today. And it's a bench trial, so it's not there's no jury involved. Uh and this is gonna be uh it's gonna be huge. Uh it's gonna be huge because the implications of it, it's setting precedent uh on its own. Uh, going after the blue wall that we all know exists, uh, and you know it it is it is what it is. I mean, there is the education in the academy, and then there is the education that um, that exists and uh, you know uh, in, in roll call. There's the education that exists from the field training officer. There's the education that exists on the street, and I have heard. You know, I've heard uh, police say when they reported for duty, when they've gotten out the academy, leave all that stuff that you learned in the academy in the academy. That doesn't that doesn't fly here. So it's a different culture. So this this uh, this blue wall, this code of silence, uh, it is real and it's going to be really interesting. We'll be paying attention to see how this moves forward. Um. Yeah, yeah, we'll be paying attention.
You got anything? Uh, assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum salam. Um, yeah, this is really interesting, actually. That this phase is is still kind of the next phase of part of this whole saga of the Laquan McDonald shooting. Yeah. Um, one thing that I saw that was interesting in um, I think NPR reported this is that the three officers they used the same phrase to describe the incident, mm-hmm. which was the quote uh, "swinging knife." They used the the phrase "swinging knife" to describe uh, Laquan McDonald, like what he was doing mm-hmm. at the time he was shot, um, and it kind of contradicts the video footage itself. And uh, one analyst, who I think was a former police officer, saying that to use this this the fact that they use this identical expression suggests or indicates that they might have um, they probably did kind of confer with each other and decide altogether that they were going to use this phrase to describe the incident. So this shows an indication of some wrongdoing. Obviously, the defense lawyers completely deny that, but um, that's that's going to be on the table there. Yeah. And, and that is common practice. I mean, because it's all, it's all in the details. Uh, once that report is filed, if there's if your report contradicts somebody else that's on the scene, then you got a problem. So, you know, they the, the fact that somebody picked that picked that up swinging knife. Yeah. What's the feeling in and around the city of Chicago as far as this phase of this whole saga is going? Is it similar to the Van Dyke trial? Is it it doesn't seem to be so far as much on people's radars as the Van Dyke trial? Oh, it's definitely not getting uh, the attention, the public uh, public attention that the the Van, Van Dyke trial got, and I think because you know because it it had been so sensationalized, uh, and the fact that this footage was out there that it could keep being pushed out uh, to refute what he wrote down, um, uh, especially especially when you consider this this long history that we've had over the last I should say within the past three or four years where we've had uh, different African American youth or or males gunned down by police and in none of those cases was it likely or or possible that that officer would be held accountable so this particular trial it held a, a lot more a lot more attention because people really felt like there was a possibility that he would be held accountable, and, and, and he was, and not even though not to the degree that people, you know, people wanted that first degree, mm-hmm. uh, got second degree, but with this trial, there's not as much there's not as much awareness. But I think that this trial is actually probably the more important. Probably Do you the feel more like important this is a tri- This is a point where the the system is on trial, exactly, rather than the person, exactly. And that's why I say this this trial is probably uh, in the overall uh, overall effect. I think this trial is probably more important. Um, it's not as sensational, mm-hmm. but it really does bring this. You know, it brings the the blue wall, the coldest coldest silence, into uh, into conversation. Uh, and they're and they're being, they're being critical and they're looking at it. So, depending on how this goes, you know, we we could really see we could see something something uh, something change. I'm not sure what, right? I'm not sure what what. But police, this is the thing. Police, when they are when they're in this culture, uh, when they are just kind of going along with the system, 
they don't necessarily think about the outcome of, of, of things going wrong. Uh, nobody really thinks that they're going to be pulled in front of a judge. Like uh, I was mentioning that this is the first time that this has happened, right? This is the first time that this has happened. So uh, it's something for these guys to think about. You're throwing away your career. Uh, you're not upholding the oath that you've taken. And and you're really sullying, further sullying the image of 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 people that are really that should be that should be respected and should be um, and should be appreciated much more than they are. But this silence, this cold of silence that exists, is detrimental. So I'm I'm, I'm hopeful that this does something to uh, to move the needle in the opposite direction. Yeah, as we all remember, um, even to get the footage of the shooting out to the public, it required a handful, I think two or three journalists from here in Chicago. Yeah. They had to go through a long process, uh, petitioning of City Hall, and they uh, they got it to the Freedom of Information Act, mm-hmm. finally. But it was not easy for them. It was not an easy process. No. Um, if that hadn't have happened, then this whole thing, we wouldn't have known any of this, probably. It would have been nope. just kind of... You know, open and shut case, and and that's it. So I don't know. Maybe you know to what extent are the police were the police involved in um, making sure that the tape didn't get out, or is that is that independent from the police and that it's just city hall thing, or what? Or they or do they collaborate? I don't know exactly how that works. Well, I'm pretty sure as the chief executive, you know, of the of city government. Um, superintendent he reports to the mayor mm-hmm. right so if the mayor would have said release the uh, the footage then it would have been released but from what I understand he was fighting it you know he suppressed it because uh, it was it was around election time uh, at least it coincided with that right we can't say what he was thinking but the, the situation I'm sure anyone who saw the tape would have known it would be a disaster for a city you know yeah. city administration yeah right so uh the fact that they held it for as long as they did uh and that it came out we know how it changed things but to your point if we hadn't seen it then would mary would would mary emmanuel have been uh would would he not be running again would he you know because he had it locked up nobody was gonna you know there was no real uh, contender, mm-hmm. at least that's that's the, the general the general sense based on right. the money, you know, uh, the support he has, um, and it would have been business as usual for those police officers and for the the, the, the for the, the department in general. So this is, yeah, the fact that that footage came out is huge, and yeah, we just have to have to keep watching and see what's going to happen, uh, what's going to happen with it. So, but we're talking about it because we need to be thinking about this. Chicago should be yeah. as concerned about this trial as we were about uh, the Van Dyke trial. Was, I think less than two months ago, right, was the verdict in the yeah. Van Dyke trial. You remember that day, um, all of the loop, the downtown area of Chicago was kind of on edge, you mm-hmm. know, because people were afraid if it's uh, if the verdict comes out not, not guilty, yeah. people are going to start really... Uh, be really upset and protest that could even get confrontational and, and so on. Mm-hmm. 
do you see that same type of situation um, happening again once the verdict in this trial approaches? I think our, like our leading uh, activists, uh, I definitely think our media outlets, because they were dedicated to covering it. Um, and I know, I think the Tribune, they, they wrote something up on it. Um, and I'm sure NPR, they're covering it, right, WBZ. But if it's not, if it's not getting the type of volume Right, not just that one and done. If it's not getting the type of volume uh, and intensity of coverage, then this may fall to the wayside. So I think it's gonna it's gonna take a a, a coordinated uh, response to really let people know how serious, how important this is. We were you're upset about um, you know suppressing evidence. You're upset that another young. African American male was 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 gunned down in the police by who uh, by someone that many folks looked at as a potential as, as, as a probable probably a, a, a white supremacist or a racist or you know or at least having some bias that affected him on the job and I say that based off of some of the social media posts uh, that they pulled up you know from him. But if you're upset about that, then really you should really be upset and concerned about uh, an opportunity to change the system, this this culture of silence, this culture of people writing stuff down, of fabricating, creating a reality. Because if it wasn't for that that tape, we wouldn't we would not be having this conversation. So we we definitely have to move. We have to get out of that. All right, folks. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, let's look at the border. Yeah, so this is Radio Islam. We're on WCEV 1450 AM. We'll be back in a minute. The Syrian Community Network, with offices nationwide, serves its Chicago area clients from its Northside location, located at 5439 North Broadway. They provide housing, social services, education, basic human needs, and food security. The Syrian Community Network has Arabic-speaking staff and is a partner organization of the Illinois Coalition for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. You can get more info by calling area code 872-806-0141. That's area code 872-806-0141. 0141 or by visiting their website at syriancommunitynetwork.org A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent one in 260,000. The odds of him having 15 career NASCAR victories one in 1.7 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism one in 88. I'm Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. My name is Sue Smith. 
I'm 38 and I work at a graphic design company. And the teenage me would tell you, I wouldn't be into drawing and art if it wasn't for Big Brothers Big Sisters. My big sister showed me early on that I could do anything. And to the young me, that meant a lot. My big sister's name is Sheila, and Sheila is the reason that this 8-year-old grows up to have an amazing job as a graphic designer. Whether you donate money or time, you're helping Big Brothers Big Sisters help a child. Start something today at BigBrothersBigSisters.org. Brought to you by Big Brothers Big Sisters and the Ad Council. Radio Islam, the nation's first daily live call-in talk radio show, produced by Muslims for the mainstream market. Radio Islam, on the air since 2004 because of your generosity. Radio Islam salutes its most valuable asset, you, our listener. From our producers to our interns, we appreciate your support. Thank you. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Alameen, and we're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming at WCEV1450.com. Remember to keep up with us on social media by following and liking our pages. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Radio Islam USA. And also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. You'll find us on Google Play, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you're on Apple, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. And we're also on TuneIn. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. All right, Radio Islam family. Many of you probably saw this footage of a happening um, at our border, a use of force. And you might have thought that you were looking at uh, maybe maybe Israeli uh Soldiers firing on uh, uh, Palestinians. But that was not the case. This was our border, um, our border patrol firing tear gas at uh, folks who are trying to apply for asylum. So let's uh, let's take a listen to this uh, uh, to a clip that kind of gives a, a, a a really good description of what took place. Our chief national correspondent, Matt Gutman, there at the border in Tijuana, Mexico. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, George. Even as the Mexican government has called for an exhaustive investigation into the use of tear gas on children, President Trump doubling down overnight, disputing without evidence whether those parents we saw clutching those children in those clouds of tear gas were actually their parents. This morning, the migrant caravan arriving at the border continues to grow, expected to reach 9,000 in the coming days, but also licking its wounds after clashes with U.S. Customs and Border Police agents on Sunday. May contingent of migrants rushed the fence, met by a wall of tear gas. Caught in the clouds of gas, frantic mothers and their children. Overnight campaigning in Mississippi, President Trump, without evidence, disputing that the migrants were the children's parents at all. But how did you feel when you saw the images of the women and children running from the tear gas? Yesterday? Well, I do say, why are they there? I mean, I have to start off. First of all, the tear gas is a very minor form of the tear gas itself. 
uh, it's very safe. In some cases, you know, they're not the parents. These are people, they call them grabbers. They grab a child because they think they're going to have a certain... Uh, they're going to have a certain status by having a child. ABC News has embedded on and off with a caravan wow. for over a month, but has seen no evidence of so-called grabbers. And Secretary of Homeland Security Kristen Nielsen saying in a statement, the limited number of women and children in the caravan are being used by the organizers as human shields. This is putting vulnerable people in harm's way. But some here, like Duval, one of those who tried to rush the fence, say they've had enough. He says now he wants to go back. Yesterday was too scary and he just wants to go home. Now, the Mexican government said overnight that over 100 migrants, people like Duval, who we interviewed, have so, asked to be repatriated. A lot of people will say respect the office, even if you don't respect the individual. This, this, this guy makes it really, really hard to respect the office when he says such just absolutely just ridiculous stuff um where do we start where do we start oh i, sh- I should have mentioned you all heard him earlier i am joined by the impressive one assistant producer ibrahim baig assalamu alaikum Waalaikumsalam. um so he said this is a mild form well this is a safe very safe tear gas very safe tear gas and i half halfway expected him to almost say like it was nutritious or something Right, because that if anybody's ever been maced or had tear gas, been in tear gas, uh, you know it's not it's not a pleasant experience, uh, and it's certainly not something that you would. Uh, and I yes, I have been. Uh, I know the effects of mace. You know, as a part of a uh, training, you know, I went through um, where you had to, you know, you experienced it, so you know exactly what you would be using. Um, but this guy, what does that feel like? But what does that feel like? Is, by the uh, way, burning. Uh, you know, y- your eyes water. You got mucus. It affects the mucous membranes. Mm-hmm. So you're coughing. You know, you, you got mucus coming out your nose. Uh, How long does the effect last? Uh, it, it depends. Uh, it depends. I mean, on its own, you know, you. I don't know how long it lasts on its own. Generally, you have somebody that would. Um, like you had water in the face, or some people put milk, or you know, but you would have something to rinse it uh, out of your out of uh, your face, you know, get it out your nose and all of that. It's not pleasant though, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's not pleasant. And to think that he was okay with with children, but more importantly, how do we know that these are their their parents, the grabbers? Yeah, I wonder where that term came from. <sighs> So there, there's a problem when you can just dismiss what somebody says with no facts. You know, you just decide, well, I don't believe it. Um, they might be their children, but they might not be. Or they're probably, you know, we have a lot of grabbers. Uh, don't know where this term came from. Uh, but it, it certainly does make any sense. And he has no proof for that. So... It just it just it makes you wonder how many ways uh, you can be embarrassed. And I know there are you know he has a base that responds to that that's more than happy to accept whatever explanation or happy to take his doubts even if they're unfounded to take them as actual uh, as as truth. But the reality he says why are they there? Right, the majority of those folks that are there 
are actually coming from the uh, the Honduras. And this is a uh, a region, this is a place where the gangs have made life unbearable, particularly for young people, for for for, for young men. Um where you're being told that either you join our gang and you you take part in our uh our business, you know, of of uh of, of drugs or we kill you. Those are your options. That's what you that's what you have to deal with. That is why these people are there because you have parents, you have you have mothers uh who have said I'm going to give my child better. I'm going to give my child at least an opportunity to have a life. All right, we're going to leave our, you know, the place that we've been for generations and generations. Uh, but we're going to leave now because there is not a government entity. There, there is not a police force. There's, there's nobody pr- to protect those people. So they come here seeking asylum. And instead of finding uh, empathy, instead of finding any type of uh, compassion, what they find is a, uh, our border patrol, and they find our military who have been have been uh, dispatched, even though they really can't, you know, they can't partake, they can't execute the functions of border patrol, right? So they're there largely in a, a symbolic manner, right? And he just overstepped the National Guard and went straight to active duty military. So these people come here looking for help, and they find what? They find folks who have been told it is okay to fire on to fire on you it is okay i mean you know not just not just tear gas he's already made the statement that if if they're threatened that they can use lethal force and that's what you know go ahead ibrahim oh no i was gonna say that according to um the most recent reports i think general mattis said that they're not going to be armed with firearms you're going to be armed with batons and tear gas and stuff like that. But yeah. Um, certainly, yeah, President Trump has said the type of rhetoric before that made it seem like, you know, they're, they're armed and ready to, to shoot at will or whatever. Yeah. Um, the rhetoric is definitely there. Yeah, and, and I'm glad I'm glad to hear that um, General, Matt, General Mattis will come out and make that statement. And, of course, he's making a statement because – even on the inside, even as a part of his administration, he realizes that you just can't you can't do that kind of stuff. I mean, what separates us? What makes us different than than, than those uh, um, th- those those atrocities that we witness when we hear about Palestinian uh, protesters being shot, headshots, or not just headshots? No, because they've been told the. Um, uh, their military, their forces have been told to shoot to maim, hmm. right? Shoot to maim. So there, you got people over there losing losing limbs, uh, and of course, people that are being that are being killed. And that's that's what we're starting to look like, right? That's that's what we're moving towards, um, and that should that should bother you, regardless of your political. You know, affiliation. It should bother you to think that unarmed people would be met with that type of, with that type of force. 
Yeah, also worth mentioning that the reason the National Guard was kind of um, stepped over here yeah. is because I think an issue that happened before where the governors of certain states can tell the national they they have a say of whether you know the national guard goes to the border or not so it happened yeah. in the past in some of the border states the governors said no we're not going to deploy the national guard to do this administration's work or whatever yeah um so for that reason i think the national guard wasn't in the conversation this time yeah. it went directly to the military he'd make sure nobody could tell him no that he could do exactly what he wanted to do uh even though once again this is largely uh symbolic because they're over there putting up fences, putting up barbed wire, uh, maybe digging ditches, but, but they're certainly not. They're not. Um, they're not being utilized in, in the manner um, in which they've been. They've been trained, right? They're doing stuff that really they shouldn't be doing, right? So, uh, yeah. So they and also they're rushing the border because uh, at this particular. Uh, port uh, at this facility, they have, I think they've, um, they put the quota at 100 people that they're processing a day. Um, and you've got, what, 500 people that rushed, uh, that rushed the, uh, that rushed the gate, basically in protest. Uh, so, it, you know, it, it's a situation where we, we realize that these are people who are looking for help. And I agree that we certainly should have a, a way of processing those folks um, that doesn't involve shooting tear gas at them. Right. That's just, you know, that's that's that should be that should be a given. So um, I think if people don't really respond, let me ask you this, Ibrahim, do you think that people watching this are taking this as the as the new norm as the new norm for like border security yeah um it sets a precedent there's no doubt about that mm-hmm. it sets a precedent that um this type of uh force could be used against people who are trying to ca- cross the border and that's that's pretty troubling, yeah. Mm. Do you think that when he uses terms like grabbers and he tries to basically, I, you know, mentally, ideologically, he is separating families just with the statement that this is a grabber. This is not a this is not a family. This is not a mother and her child. Right. So do you think the actions of uh, of Border Patrol? that they are more palatable for his base based on that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if he, I I doubt he himself came up with the term. I'm thinking that it's another one of those terms which um, he got from his base. That's one of the interesting things about President Trump Mm -hmm. is that his base is blindly loyal to him in in, in many cases. And he also takes from the base. Right, mm-hmm. so he takes certain ideas, certain uh, slogans and terms like this term "grabbers." I'm pretty sure he's not the one who invented the term. That he's quoting people out there um, and on the far right who have coined this term and mm-hmm. um, posed this theory that these are actually, 
people are using kids as human shields and whatnot. So, um, it, it's an interesting dynamic with with President Trump that he takes from the base just as much as the the base takes from him. Yeah, but what about outside of his base, right? Because to make a statement like that, that really is to separate the child from the from the parent, mm-hmm. right? And and to make it almost seem like it's justified that these particular people were being fired on um, to say that they really, you know, they pose a threat. Do you think that those who are not in his, uh, that don't associate themselves with, with his base, that they see this as uh, an affront? Or are, are, they, are they maybe kind of thrown off guard by this? It's... Uh well, everyone's thrown off guard to a certain extent because the situation itself is chaotic. Yeah. Um, it's a situation itself where um, it's very unpredictable what's happening and what's going to happen, how people are going to react. Um, I don't th- If you're talking about outside of President Trump's base, I don't think people in general are, you know, would take kindly to that kind of a statement. It is, in a sense, mm-hmm. kind of dehumanizing to call people grabbers and to insinuate that they're the children that are with them are not actually theirs and they're just using them as shields to avoid getting hit with tear gas whatever yeah it is in a sense dehumanizing i don't think most people appreciate that um but the line the political lines nowadays are drawn as such that so strongly and so rigidly that you know the base is the base and then the people who disagree with that uh are gonna you know condemn that and like we do mm-hmm. um yeah that, i think that's that but it, the whole situation itself it, it it is murky in a sense that you can't actually identify individuals as who is this person specifically and specifically until they get processed at the border um and their information is taken and they're interviewed and so on mm-hmm. well um I think this goes back to an, an overall tendency to create reality uh, as you see it. Just, you know, you say it, and so it is. Uh, and with that statement, I segue into n- nothing really uh, too deep, but just to mention uh, Paul Manafort, um, who had a, I guess it was a, a cooperation agreement, um, and that was going to affect, affect his Sentencing, yeah, part of a plea deal. Yeah, it was part of a plea deal, and there were certain parameters that he had to follow um, in accordance with the special counsel's uh, requirements that were given in, in accordance with that plea deal. Mm. Hey, and it seems that um, uh, the, uh, Robert uh, uh, Mueller and his his staff are now saying that he tried to pull a pull a move on him. Uh, and that they're saying that he's been lying to them repeatedly. Um, but the thing is, even with that, that he can't take back his guilty plea. So <laughs> he's put himself in a position now where I guess he's waiting for the uh, he's waiting for the pardon. That's what people are speculating, yeah, because by violating the of course his defense attorneys still maintain that he didn't violate anything yeah but it seems uh, at least to the special special counsel's office it's pretty clear um that he violated something some of the the parameters and so 
if that increases the sentence that, that he's facing. I found it interesting that he's actually being held in solitary confinement right, right. now. One of the articles was saying, which just seems pretty harsh. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, to, to risk increasing one sentence like that, people are speculating that he's expecting a pardon. That's why he doesn't. That's why he doesn't seem too worried about it. He's not paying attention to the elections. Um, I mean, even though the uh, Republicans still hold the Senate, uh, they do not have the House anymore, and. There's a lot, there's a lot that is, uh, that's possibly coming uh, in January. You know, once this new Congress is, uh, you know, is brought into session and all these new folks are sworn in, so he might, he might have his math off a bit. We'll see, we'll see. All right, folks, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be back in a moment. This is Radio Islam on WCEV fourteen fifty AM. Foreclosure is hard on every member of the family, but your family is not alone. If you're struggling with your mortgage, there is help. To learn about the government's Making Home Affordable program, visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE to speak to a HUD-approved housing counselor. It's free of charge. Visit makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE today. Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, NeighborWorks America, and the Ad Council. Is that a faucet running? That's not a faucet. That's a river rushing through the forest. Forest rivers provide over 100 million people with clean water to drink. What? I can't hear you because of the vacuum. That's not a vacuum. That's the trees in the forest cleaning up the air we breathe. I didn't know the trees were so amazing. Yep, and the forest gives us shade, trees to climb. That's awesome. Let's go explore some more. Visit the forest today and enjoy all it does just for you. To learn more about the forest and find one near you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Muñoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. Welcome back. Welcome back to Radio Islam. This is your host, Tariq Alamin. We're broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM. You heard that pause there. Like I forgot where I was at. I didn't. I was just taking in the moment. Uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, keep up with us on social media. You'll find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for us at Radio Islam USA. Follow and like our pages. Uh, and also take a moment to subscribe to the podcast because if you are just joining us right now, that means that you have missed um, the first three quarters of the program. So you want to go to SoundCloud, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or tune in, and you will find us at Radio Islam USA. All right, we've got a great event that is coming up uh, December 1st. That is this Saturday. We have our annual CIRA conference. Sound Vision has been 
uh, putting this on for a number of years. Uh, and each year there's a different theme. And this is uh, this is an opportunity for not only Muslims, but for non-Muslims to come out and find out to be uh, educated, to get some information about our beloved prophet Muhammad, peace and prayers be upon him, um, and, and to get to know uh, this 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 man, this messenger who is a uh, integral part of our uh, our understanding uh, as Muslims, uh, the the recipient of our holy our holy book, the Quran, uh, and 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 a model, just a model human being. So, our conference this year, it's theme is our prophet the unifier and it's going to be held at elmhurst college and it's 1 p.m to maghrib uh, that's the uh the uh, sunset prayer and we've got let's see who we have we have imam wesley abu samaya lebron he'll be one of the presenters uh sheikha um zakia and we've actually had her on the program as well uh let's see uh, ustad ubaidullah evans uh, those of you uh, in the Chicago area, uh, many of you probably already know, you know, who most of these folks are. Uh, let's see. And Imam Abdul Malik Mujahid will also be presenting. And our featured presenter is Professor Juan Cole, uh, who wrote a book. Um, it's called uh, Prophet of Peace Amid the Clash of Empires. Yeah, some something like that. I think that's that's a that's a decent, a decent summation of you know re- recounting of it. Um, but as we're talking about the Sierra Conference, which is you know we're looking at the the life of the Prophet, uh, peace be upon him. I want to ask uh, my brother Ibrahim if there is a particular hadith, a particular narration, a saying of the Prophet that's attributed to him that has had an impact on you with regard to character. Because one of the things that we recognize, we say, uh, is that, you know, he says that he came to to reform or beautify character, to exemplify good character. So is there one that you can, that comes to mind? Uh, One or two? Um, There's so many. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) One of them that, uh, subhanAllah, I go to whenever I'm, whenever I am, uh, Getting frustrated with a task or some duty, mm-hmm. right? Um, such as Radio Islam. No, <laughs> <laughs> I remember the hadith, just the first part of the hadith where the Prophet وسلم, in authentic narration, he said, Indeed, Allah has prescribed excellence in all endeavors, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so that helps me kind of realign myself. As a, a Muslim one. and be like, you know, as a Muslim, it's my duty to uh, do whatever I'm doing in, in the best possible way, mm. you know, to be at the top top of the, the field. S- say that again. Repeat that again in, in the Arabic. Inna allaha katab al-ihsana ala kulli shay'i. Katab the prescribed. Yeah. Mm. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, how is that, how has that, um, this, this pursuit of excellence do you find at times you find yourself um, wanting to settle? Do you find sometimes that you're at odds with that? Or or is it a willing acceptance? Um, the only time I'm at odds with it is when I'm not reminding myself of it. 
But once I once I remember that, then it kind of helps me uh, refocus. Okay. And right. and then and then it I, I, it gives me the motivation to like push forward. Okay. So we want to say it again in in English for uh for you all. So that indeed Allah has prescribed excellence, excellence in all endeavors. Yeah. In everything. And you know that's a really a old. I want to connect this to this. Um, I feel like this ancestral type of memory or expression uh, that that surfaces itself. I think about my my grandmother, who would say, you know, if even if you're sweeping the floor, that you know you take pride in it. You you do the best. You sweep that floor the best that you know that anybody's ever swept the floor. You know, <laughs> you know, you think like, what? Why, why would I? It's just the floor, right? But it's that idea of 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 looking for excellence, you know, and 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 that is that is that's really I think so important, especially for um, for us where we feel like some things don't deserve the type of attention, or they deserve less attention than other things. That's a that's an yeah, exercise, and it also ties into. Um, the the iman the faith that we have and the conviction that we have mm-hmm. that our creator really is watching us and really is um judging our actions based on our sincerity and based on the amount of effort that we put in yeah you know? yeah now do you have another one um sure one of them uh, actually both of these are found in the same collection of hadith, which is a very small collection that I hope everyone can try to memorize, actually, called 40 Hadith of oh. uh, uh, Imam Al-Nawawi yeah. that he collected. Mm-hmm. Um, this hadith is about um, treatment of others and also um, how to basically don't say anything that you're, that, that's not worth saying, basically. Mm. Um من كان يؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر فليقل خيرا أو ليصمت ومن كان يؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر فليكرم ضيفه actually فليكرم جاره and then ومن كان يؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر فليكرم ضيفه whoever believes in Allah in the last day he should speak good things or stay silent Whoever speak, whoever believes in Allah in the last day, he should, um, he should be gracious towards his uh, neighbor. And whoever believes in Allah in the last day, he should be gracious towards his guest. Hmm. Hmm. That's a good one. Now that completely destroys. Um, <laughs> that completely destroys our entertainment industry. Uh, <laughs> the whole reality, the whole reality television, uh, you know, uh, and even punditry uh, to some degree. But I, I think just in terms of of it being uh, an admonition to be conscious of the uh, of speech, not using it just willy nilly, you know. Which, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be good to the neighbor. I like that. I like that. Um, I'll give you one. I'm not going to give you Arabic for it. I'm just going to give you um, uh, a translation. I can't recall where I read it. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase it. Paraphrase it. it, it was, um, this was about prayer, right? It's about salat. Uh, 
um, and I think it's an explanation that was given to uh, one of the uh, somebody who came to the prophet and asked them uh, about it. And he said uh, something to the effect of, "If a man took a a bath, if he had a stream going by his house and he went to and he bathed in this stream five times a day, right. would there be any dirt on him?" He's like, "No, because he you know be washing up all the time, mm-hmm. right?" He says, "You know, this is the same thing. Uh, this is what your prayers do for you, you yeah. know, uh, and." being mindful being mindful of salat as a purifying agent it only works if you realize that just your just the natural the natural state of of interaction of just traveling throughout the the world just through your, your day is you're going to get some dirt on you yeah period you're going to get some dirt on you now it doesn't mean that the the world is bad it just means that if you want to be, you want to be clean, that this is something that you have to do for yourself. So just as we uh, we wash our bodies, we also got to wash wash our spirits, and and that's what that's the beauty, and that's the uh, that's what prayer offers uh, for us. So we invite you all to come out this Saturday, December first, for the Sierra Conference. As I said, um, at Elmhurst College, 1 p.m. to Maghrib. This is a free event. There will also be a book signing. Professor Juan Cole, after his presentation, will be his book will be on sale, and he will also be signing them. So we definitely recommend uh, you come out. We hope to see you there. And, uh, and inshallah, you know, that this will be this will be one of those uh, those elevating experiences, right, a rejuvenating experience. So we thank you all for joining joining us again. We thank uh, our engineers over at WCEV for making sure we come through loud and clear. I'm your host, uh, Tariq Alamine, joined by Ibrahim Bey, assistant producer extraordinaire, the impressive one. I need me like some extra, some names. I don't have anything. Uh, our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. And we remind you that... The views expressed by the host and our guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision Foundation. And with that, good people, we leave you as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you.